So we are going to continue our series through the book of Philippians. So you can go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to, going to cover uh, verses 1 through 7 today. Uh, to kind of introduce the text, I want to tell you a story from my life um, about two years ago. So it was about two years ago. It was a wet night, and it was... Um, I was participating in a church league basketball team. Uh, now, here's the thing with me and, and, and basketball is I very clearly know that it is not my main sport, meaning that I'm not very good at it. Uh, and so I just decided to be on this team, one, because they needed a body, uh, and two, because I like to exercise, I like to play basketball, I like to be competitive, I just know I should not shoot. Um, and so as I was you know, playing in this one game, one particular night, um, the other team figured out that, oh, this guy doesn't shoot. And so what they did is they had to sub in somebody to give them some time to play. And, and he was a larger fellow, and he was a little bit older than me. And so they said, hey, just guard this guy, meaning me, because he doesn't shoot. And so that was fine with me. You know, we just had an agreement, you know, when we go one side of the court, we just won't play. Uh, <laughs> and so as the game was proceeding, uh, we had a really good guy on my team. And he figured out that, oh, they put this guy on Justin because Justin doesn't shoot. And so he, he comes up to me in a timeout. And he says, Justin, listen, this is a close game, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I'm going to give you the ball, and you're going to pump fake, and you're going to go by him and just do a layup. And I was like, Zach, I don't, I don't think that's a great idea. You know, I just, this isn't what I do. And he was like, well, you know, just, just you know, you can do it. And I was like, okay, well, just remember, you asked. Um... And so I get the ball, I pump fake, and just like he said, the guy went up, and I was able to go around him. But as I went around him, what I ran into was the random six-foot-seven guy that was on their team, and Zach didn't tell me what to do with him, of course. And so I did as any reasonable basketball player would in that moment, that being that close to the basket. Um, I planted my foot to shoot. And as I planted my foot... My knee buckled, and I tore my ACL. <laughs> and so I tried to get Zach to pay my ACL surgery bill, but he would not. But one of the most mind-blowing things to me in the rehab process of, of rehabbing and learning how to walk was simply understanding and learning how to stand again on your own. Because you get to a certain point and you work on it and you, work, you know, your knee is like huge, it's swelled up, you can't bend it, you can't move it. And so just the mere simple practice of standing alone with no support and straightening both of your legs for me, was, was so hard to get to that point. And if you've ever been through a, a knee replacement or rehab process, you understand this is challenging. And Paul, in our text today, he talks about this simple practice of what it means to stand, about to stand in the face of adversity. It was something that the church of Philippi had heard, or probably, you know, they all, most of them probably knew how to stand, but Paul begins to teach them what it actually means to stand. 
And uh, this week and next week, Ed will be back next week, uh, we're going to do a, a, a two-part sermon series uh, on what it means to stand. And today is going to be what you do and how you go about it. And, and next week in verses 8 and 9, it's going to be well, how you think about it. So it's only two verses, so hopefully Ed will go like less than an hour. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm excited, and it's just a privilege to be up here today. So we're going to begin to read our text. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you who I'm, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with, I'm just going to butcher this name because you have to do this like growling thing, or this gurgle thing, and I can't do it. So I'm going to try it once for your laughing privilege. Uh, and I plead with Sintaki uh, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we're going to begin to break this down verse by verse. Uh, verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So there's two sections to this first verse. The first, uh, the first section of it is, is Paul is expressing his deep love that he has for this church. Okay, so the church of Philippi was one that Paul loved and adored, and he makes it clear here that I, I, I love this body of believers. So love is built on the word agape here, so it's, it's still referencing that agape-type love that he has for the church. And then he also says that I long for, so he is expressing the desire while in prison that I one day have a desire to be in fellowship with you. And then the second part of this, uh, of this verse is the exhortation. Uh, exhortation, if you don't understand what that word means, it's language intended to incite and encourage. So out of Paul's friendship and his love for this church grew his exhortation. And he tells the, the church of Philippi, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. The Roman armies of this time, so this word stand is really a, it's a military term, and the church of Philippi was full of families of military people. So this, this language and this terminology that he's using here is really relating to the church of Philippi of what they are to do in the face of adversity. They are to stand firm in the Lord. And the first thing that Paul does, and I love that he does this, is he immediately tells you 
how you do so. He immediately tells the church of Philippi, I want you to stand firm and how you do it to begin with before you do anything else, before you make any lists, before you try to do this, before you try to do that. What you are supposed to do is you're supposed to stand in the Lord. That you will never be able to accomplish what I am commanding or what I'm encouraging you to do. You're not going to be able to do it unless you first start with your faith in the Lord. And that is true with our, with our Christian walks today of the only way you're going to become more and more like Jesus in your relationships and in your struggles and in your hardships, the only way you can survive all of this and still glorify God and grow and be molded is by doing it in the Lord. Your faith begins by simply putting your faith in him. So he says, stand firm, stand in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord. The other thing I love, I, I like a lot of things about Paul, but the other thing I love about Paul's writing style is he tells us what to do and how to do it. And then many times what he does in the following text is he describes what it looks like I am telling you to do. In verse 2, it says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with name, <laughs> to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose name are in the book of life. So the first way that we are to stand in the Lord is by unity in him. So the actual problem between these two women, we have no idea what it was. We have no idea what it was. But I think we can all agree of if there are two or more people gathered or if there's just two people gathered, eventually a disagreement is going to occur. Amen? <laughs> a disagreement is going to occur. You're going to get into arguments. You're going to get into fights maybe, but anytime there's more than one person, there's always, even if you're with yourself, you may disagree with yourself. <laughs> so he, is, he lays out how you can be unified in him, standing firm in the Lord, first with starting with yourself. He says, I plead with Eudea, and I plead before the other lady's name. He says it to both of them, not by accident in the sense of, oh, I just repeated myself, but he puts it before each of their names to make the point of how you stand in unity as a church or with anybody of believers is it begins with you. And the reason he says it begins with you is because the only people you can control is yourself. The only attitude that you can control is yourself. The only mind that you can control is yourself. So how you accomplish unity is you begin with yourself. And you say, how can I be more Christ-like? Where am I at in error with somebody else? We always point to the other person that needs to change first. 
We always say, if you could just be this way, or if you would just act this way, or if you would just behave this, this way, my life would be so much better. <laughs> and Paul is saying, no, it, it's not other people. It's not pointing the finger. It begins with you. And that's the only thing you can control. The second thing that he tells these women is that they need to be of the same mind. This is also translated as agree with. This is also translated as live in harmony. What he is communicating here is not that you all need to have the same opinion or you all need to think exactly alike. Why? Because it's impossible. <laughs> Right? There's, you know, if you've been married longer than two weeks, you know that this is impossible. There's no way that you will always think 100% alike. You don't all have to come to the same agreement that the carpet needs to be purple. But rather what he says is you need to be this, in the same mind that of what Christ had that he outlines in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm just going to read you 5 through 8. He's, verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had, who though was the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So we need to, as a Christian, as a church, have the attitude of Christ. And the, this, this attitude of Christ is a significant difference between us and the world that we live in today. The world we live in today with relationships would say, what can you do for me to make me happy? Whereas the follower of Christ, having faith placed in him, rather asked, how can I serve you? And the reason we ask that is because Christ himself didn't come to be served, but rather Christ came to serve the world. And so beginning with you and with unity and beginning with yourself of having this mind, the same mind of Christ Jesus, we need to constantly ask ourselves, how can I better serve you? And then the third thing he says about standing in unity is, if you can't make it work, you should get a mediator. And so he tells these two ladies, he said, listen, if, 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 it, if it's not solved, this would be the best idea of if you can just solve it on your own and you can come together, talk about it, solve it. But if, if, if it isn't solved out, out of that, you should get a mediator. And the point that I take from this is so many times when we can't come to an agreement or we're in this argument or we're in this disagreement and two sides can't meet, what we tend to do is rather than bring, continually bring that thing into the light, we take it and we put it in the dark. 
And as it is in the dark, all it does is it grows. We think we're going to put it in the dark, and then it's just going to sit there, and it's going to stay, and it's going to behave. And the truth be told is it doesn't. We put these things in the dark as disagreements, relationships, issues, different, air, different things of different relationships. We pack them deep, deep down inside of us, expecting it to go away. And all it ever does is it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And what Paul is telling these two women to do is instead of putting it in the dark, instead of letting it grow and take over and even take my place in your life, pull that thing out of the dark and put it in the light. And what you will be fascinated is when you do that, it goes away. When you pull it out into the light, it forces you to deal with it, where it forces you to evaluate yourself and say, okay, how can I be more Christ-like? What am I missing here? Next verse, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The second way that we are to stand firm in the Lord is we are to rejoice in him. Once again, Paul emphasizes this by repeating it, okay? It's not an error. It's not a translation. He emphasizes it by saying it twice. You need to rejoice. And he makes clear that their rejoicing and their joy is in the Lord, and that it was to be unchanging. So no, this word also gentleness, no single word really translates from the Greek term that they get this from. But the commentators, they consistently insist that this word contains an element of selflessness. So it's this idea of how to serve, how can I serve you, unselfish love and affection. And then he reminds them that the Lord was at hand, that the Lord was near. And he reminds them because he understands that the Lord is going to come back one day and judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he's going to expect this quality to be in his followers. And the reason he is going to expect it is because he is the one that did it himself, Paul, of all people, he knew that regardless of situation and circumstance, that the follower of Christ could rejoice in him. That regardless of whatever you face in life, regardless of how bad the situation is, regardless of how many mistakes have been made, regardless of where you find yourself at, that the believer can always choose to rejoice in him because that Jesus has gone before us and already made it right. And that whether here on earth it was going to be made right or one day here in heaven, so this prize that he's talking about in the previous chapter of being in heaven, that if it's not made right here, that one day it's going to be made right in heaven. So that your body isn't going to hurt as bad as it does. That all your relationship and these issues and this constant struggle that we have here on earth is all going to be 
relieved. And so because of that, and because your faith is placed in him, you can go about your life with this understanding that you will be okay. It can give you the confidence to know that no matter what you go through here, you can still choose joy. And the reason that you can choose joy is because of him. With this understanding and with this belief, what it does, church, is it equips us to move on. Right? It equips us with this ability of no matter what I go through, what struggle, I know that good or bad, that God is going to be able to use this to mold me to be more like him. And I would rather be more like him than always have my way. And that I understand that, on the out, that at the end of this, because the season will come and it will be done, that it will all be made right here, and if not, in heaven one day. The prize. At verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The third way that we are to stand firm in him is we are to rely in him or on him. Rely. Jesus, he, he speaks about anxiety uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he outlines the most common causes of anxiety. And those are, you know, physical attributes. So how you see yourself or how you, how your physical appearance, how you look, your clothing. Am I wearing clothing that is clean and looks nice? Food and drink in the future. What will I do with my life? How will this end up? How will my children be? How am I going to get through this? And he outlines all of these causes on the Sermon on the Mount. And I would confidently say that all of these causes and more are still the cause of anxiety today. And he makes clear the answer to what suffering through anxiety is. He makes clear that it is prayer and petitioning with thanksgiving to him. So if you're at the Thanksgiving Eve service or if you have me on social media, you now know that my wife, and if you don't know, now you do, you now know that my wife is expecting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little crazy. Um, we found out that we were, that Megan was with child um, the Thursday before we moved across the country on a Tuesday. And it was just the most mind-blowing, emotional, mixed emotions attitude that we had and feelings that we had all weekend because, you know, you know I just want to be transparent with you that our, our five-year waiting plan had been foiled. <laughs> You know, it, it wasn't our plan to move across the country from all family 
and then have a kid <laughs> instantly. You know, we, we, we wanted kids. We loved kids. We knew that it was hopefully going to happen one day. But finding out the Thursday before you move across the country was not what we anticipated and not really what we even wanted. And so we're, we're feeling this bag of mixed emotions all weekend. And unfortunately for Megan, as soon, it was like as soon as she took the test, you know, because we took like 10 tests, of course. Uh, and, and actually, the first, the first day that we took the test, one test said yes, and one test said no. So not only did we think we were pregnant, we didn't, really didn't know. <laughs> it's like, mm, what's going on here? But unfortunately for Megan, as the weekend progressed, she just became sicker and sicker and sicker with morning sickness. And so we are trying to pack up our entire life this weekend when Megan just is just so sick. And, and the other, the other one, one of the reasons we, we moved here is, is we were just really seeking community. We really wanted to surround ourselves with a, uh, with a young adult, godly community uh, that we just didn't quite have in North Carolina. And, and this just this, uh, multiplied my emotion in the moment of loneliness. When you're packing up your entire life in the weekend and you really just have nobody to call. You know, we had, we had dear family close by, but we just didn't really have anybody to call. And as this weekend progressed and as Megan got sicker and sicker, the thoughts and worries and fear caused by anxiety began to creep up in me and, and begin to think so many different things, such as how in the world are we going to get across the entire country? Because we have two separate cars and we only have two drivers. And not only is there two drivers, only two drivers, we both have to pull trailers, which my wife has never done. And now she is just consumed by this morning sickness and she can hardly has the energy to even help pack, much less drive across the country. And so my prayer that weekend was, okay, Lord, I know we're going to have a baby. <laughs> Amen. That's great. <laughs> but would you just make this sickness disappear? Make this sickness disappear. Because I didn't know what else to pray. What else do you pray, you know? Neither of us are ready to be parents, but I was not even ready to think about that because I had to get across the country first. And... That was my prayer. That was my prayer. And then, and then Thursday morning, you know, so once again, I'm, I'm still trying to control everything that I can control. I'm still trying to put all of my humanly effort possible into controlling this situation to make it equal out what I anticipate would be better. And so I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, please, reliever of this sickness, reliever of this sickness, reliever of this sickness. And, and Tuesday morning came, and we woke up, and I hardly slept that night, not because I'm getting ready to move across the country, but because I was like, okay, when I wake up, Megan's going to be okay. Megan's going to be miraculously good. She's going to be able to drive across the country. It's going to be great. We're going to love life. We're going to enjoy the trip. And then she can have the morning sickness later. And we woke up Tuesday morning, 
And that was not the case. She was just, she was just as sick. And I just didn't know what to do. There was nothing else humanly that I could do to solve this situation. And so I, I, I packed up our mattress. We packed up the last things. We got the dogs in the truck. <laughs> and there was, there, was, there was no way to call to say, hey, is there any way you can take a week off work and drive across the country with us? You know, I'll somehow afford your plane ticket back home, I guess. There's, there's nobody to call. And so what else do you do? And so I, I, I opened up the driver's side door for Megan. <laughs> she had her bucket with her <laughs> that she put in the passenger side. And I put it in her seat. And church, there's not many times in my life that I have physically hit my knees in prayer. That was the only thing to do. And I put it in her seat and I leave the door open and I get on my knees and I, you know, I put my, I put my hands in her lap and I just began to pray. But it wasn't a prayer of, dear Lord, please relieve this sickness or dear Lord, please do this. And I was convicted in the moment of we have been given the gift of life. And that I know this isn't in our plans, but God, I know that you can use this for your glory. And I just began to pray. And of course, I prayed for Megan. I prayed for the trip. You know, we have 16 tires between us all. Like, what if that happens? And the anxiety of what if we don't get as far as we can go? Because I've, you know, I'm a planner. I love trips and I love planning trips. So of course, I have all my hotels booked with dog fees that are non-existent, right? So I have an entire plan and I have all of this anxiety of if this, if this, if this doesn't go. And I had to just totally lay it over to God and say, God, this is in you. There is nothing else for me to do. There's nothing else for Megan to do other than for us to just fully rely in you for your strength to get through this. And I don't know what it's going to look like on the opposite side when, I'm, when, I, when we're done with it because all things are going to come to an end. And, and, I, and I would love to say, miraculously, Megan became unsick. But the truth is, she didn't. But what was fascinating, at least for me, probably not for her, <laughs> is driving made her feel better. The... the, 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 the Focusing on something else other than feeling sick was actually able to get her through the entire trip. We still had to make a few stops and use the bucket. <laughs> but the Lord gave her the strength and that ability to get through. We didn't have one flat tire the entire time. We made every single hotel with plenty of time. And the Lord just totally sustained us through that entire trip. And, he, and, he, and, and what Paul is telling the church of Philippi, what, what Paul was telling me is 
cast all of this on me because I've already, I've already gone through and done it for you. And that prayer with petitioning and with thankfulness is the answer to this anxiety. Not the answer in the sense of all everything we think is going to work out and be made right in our view, but rather how God sees it and how God has already done it for us. You will be okay. Not only will you be okay, he follows this up with verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he makes three statements about this peace of God. The first thing with this peace is that it was of God. It was divine. And what he explains, so this is, this is a characteristic of God. In that in, the, in these moments of struggle and anxiety, when you prayer and petition me with, thank, th- with thanksgiving and with thankfulness, that this peace that is divine will consume you. And that it will transcend all understanding. So many times Paul goes through and he, he contrasts peace with knowledge, peace with knowledge. And what the point that he is making here is that sometimes knowledge of the situation, the most humanly thing that you can do, knowledge is not going to be enough for this peace. And that this peace will transcend this knowledge of understanding of all of everything we think, okay, this is not going to be okay. This is not going to work. How is this going to work out? And he says, this peace of God is going to transcend all of this. And that finally, he once again, he goes back to using the military terms, and he says, and what it's going to do is it's going to guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That this peace is going to stand on duty to keep, on, to keep out anything that promotes this anxiety because this peace and this understanding is going to be more than knowledge. So in all of, in all of everything telling you that it's not okay... Paul is saying, you know it's going to be okay. And the reason you know it's going to be okay is because you're standing firm in the Lord. You are starting with yourself. You are rejoicing because you can always have the choice of joy. And as you're doing all of this, you're standing firm in him. And what's going to happen to you as a believer in Christ is you're going to receive this peace of God that may not make sense to the world. It may not make sense to anybody else. But you know that you're going to be okay. And so before Megan and I left, I, I, I left her, her lap, I shut her door, and I went to my truck, and I was like, God, I, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work, but I, I, I know that you can handle it. And I know that you will handle it. And so I'm going to choose to rejoice in you and that 
I know that through this experience that you are molding myself and Megan as parents already. Because we now have the testimony to tell our kid who spoiled our five-year plan <laughs> that how good God is. And that just the timing of it, while on the surface, it seemed so insane to us. It seemed like so wrong. But when Megan and I, when we step back and we look at it, we just, we praise God. And the reason why is because if it was any earlier, would we have ever moved? I don't know. I can't imagine moving a wife across the country five months pregnant. <laughs> Simply because, oh, that would be challenging. <laughs> he concludes, and my conclusion is that praying people are peaceful people. Meaning that as you present your requests made known to God, as you are um, as you are trusting in him, and, and I don't want to communicate like a fakeness here, right? So I don't want to communicate like, oh, when you're going through things, just say, oh, Lord, I'm good. You know, thank you for the trial. Please send more. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to communicate that you need to be fake. God made us the way that we are. There's a time to feel upset. There's a time to feel struggle. There's a time to feel hurt. There's a time and place for that, but also I think we can all agree there's a time and place for the ability to move on. And then as we are praying, as we are petitioning God, as we are standing firm in him, we understand that praying people, we are peaceful people. And so the concluding question I have for you is the statement is the way you stand, it brings peace or it brings chaos. So my question is, is how will you stand? Will you stand in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Not because you agree on everything. Not because everything always makes sense. But stand in unity, starting with yourself. Will you stand in him rejoicing, regardless of any situation that you are facing, regardless of any struggle or hurt that you are, are, are feeling? Will you choose joy? And will you stand in him by relying in him, understanding that it's all gone before you and he's already defeated it all? And that that can give you the confidence and the ability to live your life glorifying him, being molded by him, and continually working for the upward prize of heaven. And understanding that one day it will all be made right here or in the next. Let's pray. God, I, I just thank you, Lord, for this privilege, God, to teach your word. Lord, I pray for all the people here, God. I pray for 
uh, Lord, just for the ability to stand and rely on you, God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, that he came to serve, God, not to be served. God, and we just thank you for the privilege that we have to call you Savior. So, God, I pray for our church for, for unity, God. I pray that, uh, Lord, you would just unify us, not around a theme or not around a building or, Lord, even a building or, or a program, God, but that you would, that you would, we would center around you. And, God, that you would be our unity. Our, our faith in you would be that. And God, I pray that as we go through life, as we face hardship, as we face trials, that we can know that we can still choose joy. We can know that we can always, rejo can always rejoice in you. And God, that we can rely on you for our needs. God, and, and that you have already delivered them all. So, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done, God, and we thank you for all that you will do. So in your name I pray, amen. I encourage you, church, to never forget that, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God and how it is chasing us down. So, church, I encourage you to stand firm in your faith this week, be unified, rejoice, rely on him as you go about your week. Go in peace to serve the Lord. Thanks, guys.